listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries, with your host, Aaron Broverman. Hello, fanboys and fangirls. I'm your host, Aaron Broverman. With me today, we have Chris Watton. Chris is the owner of The Sidekick, which is a little comic shop, coffee shop in the Riverside neighborhood in Toronto. Welcome, Chris. Hi. I brought you in here because I kind of fell in love with your store when I I walked in. (laughs) I kind of sort of live in the area, but uh, yeah, I walked in and it's sort of, let me describe it for the listeners, it's sort of like... A comic shop, but more like a coffee shop with like a curated collection of comics and collectibles that you basically handpick, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. That's basically the scene. It's it's very much, I guess, what comic shops are kind of trying to do right now. I guess if people who live in Toronto, if they've been to like the Silver Snail, Silver Snail at their new location has like a Black Canary type of thing. But you had this idea from the time that you were in, like, high school, right? Yeah. Okay, so tell me a bit about how the store was sort of conceptualized in your head. Well, I just had, like, a local that I I liked to hang out in growing up. They would make me a pot of tea, and I could hang out and, and doodle and read my comics and do whatever I was going to do, and everyone there was super friendly, and it was in stark contrast to my comic shop experiences where I always felt rushed, and it was always cluttered, and um, some of the customer service experiences weren't very nice, and I just wished those two things could be the same thing. So that's what I tried to recreate. So tell me about sort of your early life getting into comics. Like, where did you where did you grow up? I grew up in Windsor. Um, so it's kitty corner to Detroit. So I used to go to Novicon and all that stuff. Um, I guess I used to, used to doodle a lot and I decided I was into comics and my dad went, well, okay. So we just started buying Spider-Man and Spawn and anything we could find around our, our house or at the local shops. And, and then I just kept doing it. <laughs> so this was like early 90s-ish? Yeah, yeah. So uh, my first Spider-Man was the Todd McFarlane Spider-Man. Ah, like Spider-Man <laughs> Torment and yeah. stuff. It's like, why is the barbed wire shooting out of Spider-Man's hand? Yeah, and why is, yeah, why is Mary Jane's face so flat? <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was good. At the time, it was like a really cool style because it, it put like spider characteristics back yeah. into Spider-Man. Sort yeah, of. and there was like that era of 90s grit where everything was like really sketchy and all the cities were dirty and there was always some like hoodlum stealing something <laughs> or other. It was an interesting time in comics. So what made you arrive at the decision like announcing to your your dad that you were into comics? Is it just something from like other media that you'd seen or... Uh, I guess the the Batman films and I liked the Tim Burton style of things and I was always trying to draw things all spindly and weird and and it really like resonated with me so I decided that I liked comics and then he was sort of the one who was like oh yeah, yeah that's neat DC is okay 
look over here though <laughs> and then i i decided i liked spider-man but i decided i liked spawn more because it was sort of like the middle ground between the two things yeah that's <laughs> i actually told todd mcfarlane that and i've told this story on this podcast before but spawn was sort of my transition from like traditional superheroes to like vertigo and then and then like the seminal works like watchmen and that sort of thing because i was like too young to really understand those things but i wanted something more what seemed like hardcore you know and, and yeah. like adult at the time you know what i mean yeah Even it's like your first rock album exactly. it's never good but it's like an intro to something <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> and when i when i told tom mcfarland that when i met him he said well that's what i wanted it to be it's so good that it was like that bridge for you <laughs> so, okay cool had you seen a comic before or like were you just sort of like this is sort of my avenue in it was just yeah it was yeah. an avenue it was it was the idea of it it was the fact that i i read so much growing yeah. up and i read so fast growing up and i remember him complaining about that before we started buying comics is that i would just blow through a novel and put it down and i wouldn't pick it back up again and we'd have spent money on it, and we didn't have, like, much growing up. And he was just like, oh, I want you to read more, but I don't want you to read this fast and then lose interest immediately. And with the comics, I would constantly look at them. We would buy one thing, and I would draw things out of it. I would stare at it. I would pick it up all the time. They were, like, these objects that I, like, collected and held preciously and and kept care of. So... He, I guess, preferred buying me something that I got that much use of that I would read until it fell apart and, like, put drawings all over the fridge. Nice. <laughs> nice. So what was your growing up life? Was it just you and him or was it you and your mom and him or how did it, how did it work out? Um, my mom actually had cancer when I was born. Oh. So she was in and out of the hospital. And comics were also something to do while you're, you're visiting in the hospital, ra- waiting rooms. Yeah, yeah, totally. I I can relate to that because I've had a lot of surgeries mm-hmm. as a person with disability. So yeah, comics is definitely something you can do. Oh, and it's great escapism. Yeah. It's colorful. It's great. It has the idea that like this person or thing with powers can overcome any evil in the world. And right. for a little kid who doesn't really know what's going on and doesn't feel like they can do much, it's uh it's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah, it sort of grounds you when all this chaos is sort of going on around you kind of thing. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a huge, like, moral mirror. You see these characters who constantly are, like, one specific way. Mm-hmm. Like, they have this huge moral compass, and no matter what happens to them, they're always headed back to the right thing to do. And you look around in your life and things aren't really like that, but you can like look at your comic and think, well, no, I have to do this this way. I have to be good. I have to understand this because that's the only way. (laughs) That's crazy. So did did she, did she eventually pass away or? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then you mentioned before that when you went into comic shops, like your your customer service experience wasn't really that good in traditional comic shops, and you sort of liked the coffee shop experience a little bit better in terms of like friendliness and that sort of thing. Yeah. Can you describe sort of the types of things that you faced at traditional comic shops? Because I don't know if like every listener really understands 
what yeah. that is. <laughs> yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was interesting because in Windsor, there was only like two shops and then one that was owned by a collector that was only open like maybe once a week. So that guy was old and strange and you probably didn't want to go there unless you were looking for something really specific. The other place was owned by an older gentleman, too, who just didn't have much time for for younger audiences. And if you didn't know what you were talking about, like you couldn't describe the issue of spider-man you're looking for um what sort of thing you wanted to be reading he didn't have much time to help you pick it out uh he was often grumpy he would just sit behind the counter trying to ignore you (laughs) and the guys who worked there were often similar in attitude um very dismissive of most people who were in there other than their like core regulars who were like who knew what they were going for. Knew what they were going for. They were all dudes. Yeah. Um, they all seemed to be in like this exclusive club that like you're not allowed to join somehow. And and I always hated having to interrupt them to ask for something and then be ridiculed because I didn't know much about it yet. Really? They would ridicule you? Like they would they would like condescend to you? Yes. Not knowing yeah, stuff? yeah. But it would it's silly because you're trying to get your first issue of whatever. Obviously, you don't know much about it. You just know you want to try it and see if you like it. Right. So it's a stupid way so to you, act. So you'd, you'd have like, <laughs> you'd get like a sarcastic, like, oh my God, like you don't know. Yeah, like, you like, don't know no. what that is. Yeah. And it's like, no, I'm trying to buy it off you. <laughs> of course, I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of like the worst way to get new customers. Oh, yeah. How do, they stay, the how do they stay in business? I have no idea because there was only two and right. the other one was really far. So I'd take the bus to that one if I could. But that was when I had to have an hour there and back. And and the guy there was really nice. Um, some of his regulars were strange they'd just like leer at you while you were there (laughs) and i didn't like that either but at least i would go home to like the cafe that i would read in and the baristas there were younger and always interested in what you were reading and asking you questions and they'd let me sit there for a lot longer than i was probably supposed to (laughs) yeah yeah, totally so you know if i had like a subpar experience at the comic shop at least i knew that once I sat down and started to read it, it wouldn't matter. How far <laughs> was the comic shop in relation to the coffee shop? Oh, um, well, the one I was describing that was better was like an hour, but the one that was owned by the grumpy old dude and his shop full of bros was uh, literally a minute walk away. Awesome. So eh, I often went there even though I didn't like to. <laughs> So if no one was, like, sort of pointing you in the direction of, like, things to read and they were sort of intimidating in terms of, like, when you would ask them a question, they would condescend to you, how did you figure out what you liked and what you what you wanted to read? Because you had to become, I would imagine, one of those people that just knew what you wanted and grabbed it and left as soon as, po- as, soon as possible, right? Oh, the backs of whatever I was reading. Yeah. I, you know, when you buy a trade and it says, these things are also by this author, you're just like, okay, those are my next purchases. Cool. Or if there's an ad in your single issue for something or other, you're like, I'm going to pick that up then. And you start to spiral 
in that direction. So, and then the internet got a lot better. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. And the <laughs> 90s was sort of the start of like the, like the, it seemed like the libraries getting comics and like graphic novels and stuff. Yeah, right? yeah, for sure. Um, I wish I had been closer to one or yeah. else we wouldn't have had the problem of me reading us out of house and home, but <laughs> <laughs> um, we were pretty far away from one. So buying books was, was better. And when I started to, to heavily reread things, then it wasn't really a problem. <laughs> yeah, totally. Cool. So where did you where did you go to school? Like what did you do for university and stuff? Oh, um, I went to OCAD for university. Okay. Yeah. So what got you to like get out of Windsor? Was it just the school or Yeah, I always knew I wanted to leave once my parents were gone. There wasn't much of a reason to stay, so um, I applied to universities all over everywhere, actually. Okay. Toronto had the snail, actually. That's why I moved here. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> and I guess you'd heard about this. You'd heard, like, the legend of the snail. And... Um, I had been here a few times okay. just uh, just to check out Toronto. It's, it's pretty easy to get yeah, to totally. from Windsor, and uh, it's a neat place to spend a weekend. And when I first started coming here, Queen Street west where it is now was a lot different there was still sam's record shop and and all the little like secondhand clothing places and pages bookstore pages yeah Yeah. there was like a decent punk rock venue like right on the corner there where bathurst is and i was into all that stuff so the prospect of moving here was always exciting but what i always made a point of doing was going to the snail and pillaging through back issues and talking to whoever was there because they were always friendly and (laughs) probably more used to like new people coming into their coming into their shop a little bit i think so yeah there was less of that small town like exclusive vibe they got loads of traffic so they were always interested in in anything you were interested in or they'd point you in the direction of the closest employee who was yeah yeah totally (laughs) And they always had like a large, it was always like whenever I went in there and maybe I'm a, I'm a little younger than you, so maybe uh, it changed a little bit. But I remember it was always like toys in the front that were always like kind of really, really expensive. <laughs> yep. And then like comics in the back kind of thing. Yeah. And I remember that like all the collectibles and stuff were like super expensive, but all the like comics were like pretty decent and like US cover. And, like, oh yeah, always US cover, yeah. which they still are yeah. over there, which is amazing. Uh, I don't know how they're doing that, but <laughs> yeah, there was that. And then they used to offload in the back and there was like a fire escape and like an old dumpster. And, and when I started frequenting there, when I first moved here, you could like, go sit on the fire escape and the guys would take their smoke breaks and you'd kind of like rustle around and see if they had got any movie passes and then sneak out the back and go to the Scotiabank Theater. It was like my favorite place to spend an afternoon. Awesome. (laughs) But I would loiter too long. (laughs) (laughs) Did they like awkwardly try to get you to leave sometimes? No, sometimes they'd be like, oh, I got to work, Chris. And I'd be like, yeah, I know. (laughs) going. (laughs) Cool, cool. So where did you live when you moved here? Just up at uh, Elm Street and Dundas. Okay. What, What year did you move? 
2009? Oh, so like relatively recently. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I guess that's like right when you started school too or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. So what did you go to OCAD for? Um, Painting and drawing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Why? I still liked to doodle. <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted to to maybe make comics, but I also didn't want to give up painting as a practice. So I had spent most of my high school career at an art school, and they had put a huge emphasis on like making your own canvases and and working on big projects, and way less of an emphasis on anything small and designy the way that comics are. So I just thought that maybe that was the program for me but as it turned out it wasn't okay so (laughs) so what happened like what kind of things did you paint like as a hobby and then like how did it change for you in in school they sort of re-emphasize traditionalism but also conceptualism at OCAD and like gallery style work which is sort of like highbrow painting with concepts based in like cultural studies and stuff and as a huge nerd that's not really what excites me i just want to paint you know monsters and aliens pop art yeah yeah (laughs) warriors and and spider-man and uh, you know we didn't really get along in in what i thought art was and what my professors seemed to think art was and were there like showdowns? Like, were you like, this is art? And they're like, no. And you're like, yes. No, I just never really cared if what I was doing was considered art or not. Right, right. I just wanted to make stuff and they wanted you to make a certain type of stuff. Yeah. Um, and when you're paying, you know, out of pocket for five grand in tuition to be told you're doing it wrong, it gets really discouraging really quickly. Plus, like, your grades are, like, super subjective. Like, if they don't like what you're doing, you're not going to do very well. But that doesn't make any sense. But also, you're being graded on a bell curve, and uh, it doesn't much matter, actually. Everyone seems to get a C in first year, regardless of how they perform. And that's also discouraging. Yeah, (laughs) because no one's actually, like, the people that are good don't get rewarded. And the people that are bad get to keep going. Yep. yep. <laughs> I I knew a couple people whose work I really didn't like. And I really wish they had, like, learned some anatomy or some shading or something down the line. Someone should have told them that they didn't have any sense of form. But they just went straight through. And then I knew other people doing these amazing, like, graffiti-style works and getting shit grades because that's not what OCAD wanted to produce as an institution. Oh, okay. So it's hard with art. It's it's so subjective, and everyone's kind of doing their own thing. But if you have professors who are all sort of like-minded in terms of what you should be doing, I find it can be just uh, like banging your head against a wall. Did you <laughs> when you before you went in like? Did you have an idea that you wanted to be an artist? No, I just wanted to to make stuff and I just wanted to uh, enjoy life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just ended up feeling like what I enjoyed the most were my times at the comic book store. <laughs> wow. Did your interest in comics, did it like spawn into other areas of pop culture, like movies and that, and that sort of thing? Oh, too? totally. I only really 
get excited if a movie has a superhero or a monster or, you know, an orc or something going on that I think is great and sci-fi themed or or anything like that that I recognize out of the comics I was reading growing up. <laughs> That's awesome. So you're you're living in like the best time. I am. <laughs> with all the movies and stuff. That's so great. Oh yeah. It's it's an exciting time to be a nerd. Totally. totally. <laughs> so the OCAD thing wasn't really going well. What happened to you ultimately in OCAD? Like what did your what shape did your academic career take? And uh... I focused on taking loads of life drawing classes because those are always great. And it's the greatest thing OCAD has to offer are like just a plethora of life drawing courses at any time of day. So I took those and I, I took classes where you learn how to make paper or you, you know, learn how to make jewelry, stuff I didn't know how to do that seemed interesting. But ultimately, I... I hated my painting classes, which is the whole point of going. And the drawing classes where you had to design logos and stuff, I found pretty dry. So when I had taken every elective that I could possibly take that I actually enjoyed, I uh, dropped out. Okay. When did you drop out? Two years ago. Oh, okay. And how yeah. long have you been, had you been there? Like 2009? Let's see. Was it like a four-year program? Or? Four, yeah. Yeah, there was um, there were blips and bloops where I skipped a semester because I felt discouraged and I just worked full-time and then I went back thinking I should finish because I started and then <laughs> yeah. and then you don't feel like finishing <laughs> and you remember that you actually aren't enjoying this and I don't know, life's too short. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> So while you were there, though, were you also working at, like, coffee shops and stuff part-time? Yep. Always had had a part-time gig on the go, but the ones I liked the best were were barista jobs because I got to meet lots of cool people and and talk about stuff and... You're you're part of someone's day, which always feels nice. When when you say barista jobs, are we talking like Starbucks? Are we talking like independent coffee shops? Like, uh, what are strictly we... independent coffee okay. shops, okay. mostly by accident. When I first started applying for coffee shops, Starbucks had a very strict policy on uh, what you should look like. I don't know if it's still like that, but you weren't what supposed to policy? have any visible tattoos or... Um, weirdly colored hair or facial piercings, which was a problem uh, for me because I was bald and I had a little bit more metal in my face than I do right now. And I've always had visible tattoos, so I didn't even bother to apply because um, <laughs> I knew we just wouldn't get along about this. <laughs> yeah. What is your philosophy in terms of in terms of your look? Do you want to be just as much of an artist like on your body as you do like on the canvas or... Oh, I I just love art, and I get really excited about other people's, and I also love monsters, so most of my tattoos are monsters. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, in ter- so then you went to, like, independent comic shop- coffee shops. What did you pick up there? Like, what, what did you like about the vibe that you, that you really gravitated towards and stuff? Well, it was something I was familiar with. Because growing up, I frequented them so often. Yeah. So it was it was neat to get to be that person who I liked to see when I was growing up. You know, the 
the people always knew me and were always super nice. I got to do that for other people, which felt really good. And you get to learn all sorts of weird coffee nerdery. Which, like what? Uh, just how to how to dial in a grinder, what sort of coffees from what sort of places taste a certain way, um, if things are over-roasted, if it's not brewed properly, what does that look like? How do you make the best cup of coffee you possibly can? It's sort of like a small skill to have, but it's one that pleases me. <laughs> so so I'm a bit of a coffee nerd. Okay, and I've, okay. And I've recently turned into one because my girlfriend got me a French press. Nice. So then whenever I'm exposed to like an interest, I always like research the hell out of it. Like when we got a cat, everything the cat would do, I would like look up and try to figure out why is he doing that? What is, <laughs> what is the deal? So I got a French press and my instant thing was try to make like the best fresh press coffee that I could possibly make. So then I looked up this video and it has like first you have to like warm up the cup with, with the water <laughs> then you have to like put the coffee like put two scoops of coffee in then you have to pour the water then you have to let it sit because you only pour the water like a little bit over the coffee then you have to as like after you wait for i think it's like two minutes or something you pour the rest of the water in then you wait for four minutes so whenever i do the fresh press it's sort of a process like i do like a four minute thing but i'm always kind of self-conscious about it because <laughs> i'm like am i really making the best coffee that i can that i could really make so in your opinion what how do you work like the fresh press i brew for five okay if i'm using a french press because i like it stronger <laughs> but that's just me <laughs> okay but but the timing thing is that a thing oh it's totally a thing okay. and everything's like that if you're if you're brewing a pour over if you're pulling a shot of espresso there's always a certain amount of time it should take and a certain amount of weight that the ground should be and a certain amount of freshness and what sort of grind setting it should have been on when you ground the beans. There's always those ratios and I find it fascinating and I often play. I'm like, well, what if I just did this? What if I just did this? Does this make it better or worse? Sometimes I make a huge mess and I'm like, wow, that experiment failed. But sometimes it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's really good. And then, and then sometimes you realize why the timing is the way that it is. Yep. <laughs> cool. That's awesome. Good. I'm. I'm glad I'm on the right track, and I'm you not just are. some weird neurotic person around around coffee. Oh, I'm totally neurotic. <laughs> I go other places, and I'm like, oh, I just want to go back to this shop. This coffee is not very good. <laughs> so, so what makes a good cup of coffee? The right combination of all the things we just described, okay. and then love. How do you know? <laughs> like when you have a bad cup of coffee it sort of tastes like bitter and like weird or sometimes sometimes it's oily and i i hate that and sometimes it's too hot which also sucks because then they've just burnt it and the flavor isn't going to be as good so there's a there's a variety of things that could go wrong and sometimes i'm sure the equipment there is fine it's just the person there doesn't care to pay attention to all these finicky details that obsess us right right totally, totally. <laughs> which you can't blame them for yeah, yeah. <laughs> like some people just want to drink their coffee like people that don't get it are sort of like why don't you just drink the coffee i just need caffeine <laughs> right now yeah, exactly. injected into my veins yeah. which is fine yeah. but yeah, totally. I'm still going to give that person the best cup of coffee I can give them. Totally. <laughs> so 
I want to know kind of what brought you to your own coffee shop. How did you figure out that that's what you wanted to that that's what you wanted to have? And then how did you make it happen? Like I went on your website and there's like a whole photo process of like the renovations and like the <laughs> process of it and stuff like that. So tell me a little bit about that. Like tell me the story of of the shop. Oh gosh. Um yeah, it would mostly anxiety <laughs> well i knew i knew that's what i wanted to do as part of the frustration of being at ocad is that whenever i would get my most frustrated i would just like sit down and think to myself you know this doesn't matter like this too shall pass i'm going to open this thing one day and then life will be awesome and then i just kept getting frustrated and having those moments and i was like you know what if i don't dedicate energy or time to this idea then it's never going to happen, and I'm just going to constantly think about it forever. <laughs> so I better just do it, or else it's that thing that I never did, which I don't want to have. So <laughs> I started to to business plan and research what it would take to uh, to order the comics and do all that, because it's it was the number one thing I didn't know. I've never even worked in a comic book store before. So I, I started pricing things out and, and what sort of equipment would be my dream equipment and, and what sort of a setup would I want and what is rent in Toronto and where would I want it to live? And, and all this research went on for about a year on and off. I would pick it up whenever I was home and had a minute to do it. I would uh, try and knock it off and pretty soon I had like a 14-page business plan with three Excel spreadsheets about the financials and and then there stopped being a reason to not start to put the physical aspects in play because you've now planned it all there's nothing left to plan and did you know did you know <laughs> or did you think you knew everything no i knew that i definitely didn't know everything but there wasn't anything else i could learn out of a book or f from working for right. somebody else <laughs> and at least if you have a plan, you sort of know, this is what I need. Yeah, right. yeah, you have a list. And so basically, I spent a year writing a very intricate list of every single step I would need to take and every single thing I would need to get before we could open. And I started to tick boxes. And then it started to gain momentum. And then bigger things would happen, like I would see a space and I liked it. And then you're like, well, I have to sign a lease. That's what happens now. And you start to feel anxiety because then there's a space and then you better build it and you have to start paying rent and, oh, your stuff is going to arrive and this is your first machine, you have to hook it up. And, and by the time we opened, I felt so shell-shocked by the whole thing that people would be like, oh you know, nice cafe. And I'm like, what? This is just a series of objects that I managed to procure in the last six months. I can't believe people are giving me money. Wow. Like so <laughs> so what, did, what did the sidekick used to be before it was yours? Uh, it was uh, an antique store for like 40 years. So the space looked like crap. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the location was good and and the rent was cheap as long as we were willing to fix it and uh, my partner does renovations for a living oh, well that's good yeah well <laughs> he was basically like if you really want this and think you can do it i will help you build it and then one day i turned to him and i went i think i need help to build it now uh, wow <laughs> so 
What attracted you about the location? I knew I wanted it to be on the East End. There's cost-effective reasons for this as well, but also I've lived out there for four years and I like it. And uh, there's not much down there for comic book stores. There's not a heck of a lot of cafes doing coffee in the same way that some of the smaller shops downtown do it which is a way that I appreciate. And uh, yeah, I could get more square footage for my buck and I definitely wanted enough room that people could sit. <laughs> yeah, well, it seems like, because I live in the East too, I, I'm not as far East as, as a sidekick because I, I live in the, in the distillery, but uh, I think it's kind of like up and coming and it, and it was yeah. always cheaper to rent there than it was to be on like Queen West or like King West or those sorts of things. And it's sort of a trendy neighborhood. Can you like describe like the kind of the kind of neighborhood this is? Yeah, yeah. So the West End has like a similar vibe, except for it never really got built up residentially. So there's a lot of like houses that are split between people and like renters who go to university. So it's like trendier in that there's more like young people just renting and like bars and sort of a social scene. Whereas the East End it like the housing out there was like cheaper to buy than downtown so a lot of families started to yeah. move down there the retail spaces haven't really caught up with that yet right so there's a lot of vacancies or like old convenience stores and stuff still but there's a lot of young families who have settled down there so it's interesting because it used to be really rough, but now because of that, a lot of the riffraff has sort of, like, dissipated. And it's just, like, a super family-focused neighborhood with, like, lots of babies and dogs and stuff. Yeah, very, like, <laughs> very like retail, like, the retail sort of caters to, like, the walk-in with your stroller and your family. and But they're, like... They're all unique. All the stores that are there are very unique and, like, their own their own thing. Yeah, yeah, everyone... Kind of like what the West used to be, like, before gentrification, I guess, or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's true. Everyone's, like, got their one clear, concise thing that they want to do, and they've opened a business about yeah. it. Like, there's little shops that just have cheese, or, like, just make tacos, or, like, you know, just, like... It's a bar that only serves beer. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Or like you're doing ice cream in like a weird way or something. Yeah. Or something like that. And there's like in the spring, the park down the street does like a farmer's market every Sunday. And then every month in the park across the street from that, they do the Leslieville flea market. And like, so there's still all these weird like neighborhood sort of small town things going on. It's nice. Like. If I had opened the sidekick on the West End or downtown, I couldn't run it by myself safely most days. And you'd probably be out in like a year or, so, or something like that because it would get too expensive to do, maybe. Well, a lot of landlords in the in the downtown core and the West End, they don't want you to sign like an extended lease because they might be able to get more like tomorrow. Yeah. So they want you for a year and then they want to jack it up and see if they can get the new price. Right. So in an old building like the one I have, uh, in a neighborhood that's not quite there yet, I could easily get a landlord to agree to lease to me for five years' time, which is what I did, because they liked the idea that their space could be part of the neighborhood for that long, and that I would put enough into it, renovation-wise, that I would want to stay, and that I would 
fix up and in general bring value to their building and the community. That's awesome. Which is a way better attitude than just some guy who wants your money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. It's very cohesive and community and yeah, it's cool. As far as like the comics coffee shop experience, I, I alluded to earlier the fact that like suddenly a lot of comic shops in Toronto are trying to be less the dungeony, dusty sort of <laughs> just comic shops and you're seeing comic shops with lounges and couches and you have the silver snail which has like the black canary in it and you have the reference library which suddenly has its own comic shop with like a balzax next to it and like comic shops are trying to be or maybe this is like an organic happening they're trying to be a little bit more welcoming to a wider more diverse population can you talk about like how that happened and like you had this this idea from the time that you were in high school so seeing that around you like seeing that like what you're doing is like sort of what people are trying to do but not as well how does that make you how does that make you feel great like i i feel so excited that i get to be part of a community where finally it's a for everyone, you know, it doesn't have to be this exclusive club that exists in this strange place that doesn't want to help you allow yourself to help yourself and become one of them, you know. You can just walk in and, and be interested in whatever you're interested in or not really know much about it and find someone who will talk to you about it. I mean, that's magical. And I guess when when I moved out here, they were starting to put Starbucks in chapters. And I looked at that and I was like, that's kind of what I mean, but like... Less corporate? More fun, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I I wanted to be more fun than that. So we have like a collection of board games and stuff, just anything to like entice people to stay and hang out and, and chit-chat and definitely living in an era when there's so much so much popular culture around superheroes and other nerdery. It's so great to see people who don't read comics come in every morning and just be like, did you see the new Game of Thrones? Or like, I spent last night marathoning all of Daredevil. I didn't know anything about Daredevil before. Now I think I like it. And you're just like, yeah, man, that's cool. And you're always there to talk about those things and... It's so great. <laughs> so it's it's it feels kind of like the world is caught up to you. Yeah, it feels like everyone's just high-fiving about all this stuff that was a second ago embarrassing to like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> totally. So you mentioned sort of like your experience and you described like your experience, you know, when you used to shop at Windsor at some, some of the... Uh, the experiences you had with like retailers and the people that worked at these places and that sort of thing. And some of the things that you described may have been or were probably because you were you were a girl, right? So I want to sort of talk about like what is the experience usually for for women going to a comic shop and what did what did you want to do? you know, as a woman in creating your space and how did you, how did you want to make it feel? 
Okay, well, I'll tell you a horrible story because, uh, or yeah, I'll tell you a bunch of small horrible stories and then we'll forget they ever happened because, uh, because they shouldn't ever happen and, and in my space they won't ever happen. So I once had a pull list at a shop for all of five minutes because this happened. Um, I went in the first time to go pick it up and, uh, there was a weekend guy, like a weekend manager and... He asked how long I had been coming, and and he was he was talking at me mostly for a while, and I sort of had a shift and just wanted to grab my books so that I could read them on my lunch break, and and he said, well, you know, we should go on a date, and I said, oh, I really have to go, like so sorry, like not interested. And he said, well, you can come back and uh, you can get these books when you go on a date with me. Oh. And I came back the next week and I said, you know, I'm just here to pick up my comics before work. And he said, well, you know, what about that date, though? Uh. So I called on a Monday and just closed my pull list because I was so uncomfortable by the whole thing that I I didn't want to go back. Um. <laughs> yeah, that's extortion (laughs) blackmail it's super weird and uh, i had to go find back issues for some of the stuff later which was a huge pain in the butt but at least i didn't have to deal with that guy anymore and there are other comic shops yes at least exactly and then there has been times where you know i go to pick something up i think i might be interested in and someone who works there comes by and says oh you won't like that have you read fables and uh, <laughs> it's because lots of ladies love fables. And if you love fables, you should love fables. It's a great little book, but I've started to resent it now because so many people are like, oh, you're a girl. You'll like the kissing book. And mm. I don't like the kissing book that much. <laughs> it's it's interesting because it's like it's like they're trying, but it's... I want to give off the appearance that I'm trying because I haven't actually done a lot of research into into what girls like. I just have heard from like Wikipedia and like news articles what <laughs> girls supposedly like for comics. So I'm going to just assume that all girls are sort of the same. And yeah, and, you know, it, it's super strange behavior, and it's it's so silly because you could easily solve the problem of not knowing what to recommend to someone. By asking what they like. Right. You don't have to, like, assume or direct them. But, no. I, bet, but I bet they think they're doing a good thing. I bet they think, oh, I, I'm, I'm going to, like, turn her on to comics some, like, somehow. Like, yeah, I bet as they, I'm, I'm yeah. standing there and I have eight long boxes yeah, at home already. Exactly. And they didn't ask. So it's, it's stupid. I also, yeah. I, I tried to online date. On Geek to Geek, I don't know if you're. Oh, familiar. I I tried that. Yes, it didn't really work. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I had a Geek to Geek profile, and often I would get messages being like, "Oh, you say you're into comics. What happened in such and such issue of Batman?" Or, "Oh, you say you like Spider Man. Which one's better, Todd McFarlane's Spider Man or Romita's Spider Man?" Like they're doing a test. Right. Like they don't believe you, and I was honestly like. Guys, come on. If I really wanted to impress you, 
would comics be the thing I would use? Like, yeah, I'm not here to just get a nerdy boyfriend or whatever. I don't know why I'd want one if I wasn't into these things. Yeah, yeah. So I don't really understand that attitude either. This weird like gatekeeping that goes on. Like, this is my club and you're not allowed in it because you have... It's like that little rascals thing where it's the He-Man woman haters club yeah. and none of the girls are allowed to join. And <laughs> the one little boy starts playing with a girl and they claim he has cooties and he's not allowed to like go in the clubhouse anymore. Right. It's like that sometimes. And it blows my mind because I'm like, these are the same people who will turn around and complain that they have trouble meeting women. Right. <laughs> but, but the self-analysis... Uh, isn't there a lot of the time like yeah i find that <laughs> they blame external factors that instead rather yeah. than like because girls are shallow and they only yeah. see my neck beard and i'm like well there's that but also you're mean to me yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know yeah, crazy <laughs> so but I I think that's changing. Like I I mm. went to TCAF this week and we both went to TCAF this weekend and TCAF Every time I go every year gives me hope for the the fandom population in terms oh, it's of it's so diverse. It's the, the so diversity. magical. Yeah. And uh and you get to meet all these people who are creative and making things that are that are so special and and so unique and so outside of uh what can sometimes be like the abrasive stereotypical aspects of of comics, you know, cuz the publishers put all these rules in place and they still want to see the same books in the same way that they've right. always seen them. And then you've got these people who are like, well, I just want to make comics like as a medium and I want to tell this story. Mm -hmm. And that's so fun. So we're talking about the Toronto Comic Art Festival and it's run by The Beguiling. The festival director is Christopher Butcher, who's like one of the main people who works at The Beguiling. And he... Uh, and the people that he works with to put it together makes a conscious effort to like make the festival international and also it is Toronto's like independent comic arts festival so you'll find people that create superheroes there but it's mostly self-published comics and small press small publisher comics uh, and, like, independent comics from, like, larger publishers that you may not have heard of that aren't Marvel and DC, like, drawn in quarterly and those sorts of things. So it's outside of superheroes, mostly, and it's people from, like, Australia and, like, the Netherlands and, like, Japan, and they're doing crazy things with, with the medium, basically, right? Yes, yeah. That's a really great way of describing it. Yeah, it's, do you, when you, like, did you go to, like, any panels? Like, what was your TCAF experience this week? I actually, for the first time, got to go as someone who owns a thing, okay. which is really fun. So um, anyone whose book that I was familiar with or that I know doesn't have diamond distribution or who I just wanted to chat with, I was handing out cards to people, I was telling them I loved their work. I was trying to get books, like more books for the store that are diverse and telling super great stories and and maybe they haven't been picked up by the big publishing houses yet and maybe they don't know how to distribute their books, but I would love to buy a case or two off them just 
to have in the store to be like, hey, this person is this person, they're making this great thing. And uh, I want the sidekick to be more like that. Yeah, where you can foster like the independent artists and stuff like that. And a love of the genre just for what it is and all the things it can bring to light. I love being able to do reader recommendations for people who are just like, you know, I don't read superhero comics and I'm just like, that's totally fine. I have mostly other things. So do you like aliens or do you like um, under the sea stuff? Or do you like real world stories about historical characters? Like what sort of a thing do you think you'd like and what sort of an art style do you think you'd like? And I'll find the book that you don't even know is your favorite. And that leads into the idea that you you specifically want the sidekick to be a curated shop like you don't have everything but you have things that you specifically think people would be interested in right yeah and we're we're working in a space that's it is a new neighborhood it is a family neighborhood it is a a neighborhood where nothing like this has been before. We're not directly competing with anyone. We're like a, just a new store, right. a new bookstore. And yeah, you have to do that for people. People have been interested in us regardless of whether or not they've ever read a comic before. And I'm I'm ready for them. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> Exposing people to the medium one person at a time. Uh, every time I give out someone's first comic box, I feel so nice. They're <laughs> like, I've bought too much stuff. What do I do with all these single issues? And I'm like, ooh, you need your first box. This <laughs> and is these a are good bags moment. And these are boards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I beg and board all my stuff. So it's it's already halfway there. They just have to alphabetize their collection. But I always, I always tell them, you know, when my comics are in the boxes and they're all alphabetized, I just feel so clean. Cool. <laughs> what do you think the future is for the sidekick? I mean, we're also in an environment where a lot of shops have closed down like or moved or you know they didn't uh, they didn't survive so how how does the sidekick survive um the sidekick survives by being both for sure because you don't sell someone a 20 dollar book every day every time they come in you just don't and not everyone can afford that and that's not a reason not to like comics you know you don't have to be able to do that to want to sit there and maybe you're reading your digital comics on your phone like Lots of people do that because it means they need less storage in their place. It means they have access to more for less money. It means they have access to it when they're on the streetcar without toting around single issues in their bag, like I do, like a crazy person. And um, (laughs) it's more approachable that way. Um, So I see the sidekick being more of a store where you get your trade paperback, your collected edition... Um, you try something for the first time that you maybe read a couple issues of online because it's cheaper and and you research some stuff, you know what you're looking for. So I think single issues sales just generally have been going down. Right. And because I don't... everyone's frustrated that they can't, like, if you're too late for the number one, mm-hmm. you're you're done. Yeah, it is very frustrating, especially dealing with people who are new to it. They're like, oh, why can't you get it again? And I'm like, oh, this is kind of the joy and the pain of comic collecting. But yeah, it's it's easier that way. And 
that's kind of the reality. It's sad to me because I've always collected single issues. Yeah, um, yeah. But not everyone can, and and the cover prices are getting getting a little silly. Some Marvel books now go for like six or seven dollars for a single issue, and uh, you know you can buy a trade for fourteen. That's yeah. not really fair. And some series don't survive past like the first five issues. So if you bought the first issue for like seven dollars, you feel really. Uh, Really you know, bad, bad when your title gets shit canned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So and and then you know I I'm on the receiving end of that when someone's book gets canceled or the date gets pushed back. They want to know why I don't have it, and I have to explain that well the the writer I guess didn't hit a de- deadline, and now your book's pushed back a month, and they're frustrated. And maybe they forget by the time it's released. So. You know, I I understand why comic collecting sometimes cannot be the most fun ever, but yeah. and you have to deal with Diamond, which is like the single distributor for everything. Who sucks yeah. so bad? <laughs> <laughs> That's the general consensus. Because um, you have to order minimums, right? I have to order minimums, which it's not hard to meet your minimum when the exchange rate's so bad. Um, <laughs> but it means you are uh, kind of hemorrhaging money into this uh, idea that the U.S. dollar is worth more arbitrarily, and then you're paying shipping. So with all that, uh, a lot of a lot of what I pay them is sort of just for them, and then there's what I pay for the books. Um, so I try not to look at it or else you just get frustrated, but yeah, which is why all the independent people from TCAF should, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm working on it. That's awesome. <laughs> cool. Yep. All right. So where can people find you? And, uh, like, do you have, is there anything I missed? Is there anything, uh, you want to say before, before we go, but mostly, yeah. How do people get to you? Okay, well, we're a short hop, skip, and a jump on the Queen Streetcar away, so you can take the 501 down to uh, Queen and Greenwood. We're at 1374 Queen Street East. You'll know you found us, because there's, uh, there's our little logo there, a sidekick girl running with her coffee, ready to deliver your comics to you. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, are you on social media? What's your website? Oh, yep. Um, we're www.thesidekickcomics.com. Um, we're The Sidekick Comics on Instagram. We are The Sidekick Comics on Facebook. And we are The Sidekick Cafe on Twitter because comics didn't fit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Oops. <laughs> so, yeah, whenever you guys are in Toronto or if you already live here, check out uh, The Sidekick. Uh, thanks, Chris. Uh, thank you, listeners, for subscribing. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at SpeechBubblePod or on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash SpeechBubble. Um, I also kind of want to say a thing because this is the first episode that I'm recording since uh, Darwin Cook passed away. So I kind of wanted to uh, dedicate this episode to him. He's a Canadian uh, you know, artist from Toronto with a very specific retro style that's instantly recognizable. He's known for uh, DC Comics' The New Frontier. Uh, he redesigned uh, Catwoman. He did uh, the uh, the Parker books. He, he redid them as comics and stuff. So check out his work because he was a guy that I always wanted to have on this podcast and now I'll never get a chance to. 
but uh, you know we still have his work and that's that's kind of what matters and we have his legacy in the community and all the different uh, independent creators and and Marvel and DC creators that he mentored uh, along the way so uh, Darwin this is for you Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. See you next time.